Welcome back to Civil Action with Brian Kabatek and along with Shant Karnakian. Say hello to everybody, Shant. That's me. Hello. Yes, you are. You're hello, here. Everyone. You're back. Uh, We're sorry. Today, we have a special guest, one of the lawyers in our office who's of counsel to our firm, uh, the Michael Childress, the great Michael Childress. Michael Childress <laughs> is an expert on first-party insurance, insurance bad faith, insurance claims handling practices, has an international practice, literally having handled these claims overseas, as well as throughout the entire United States. I think he's been on other podcasts with us talking about insurance claims, talking Indeed. about But in case claims. they haven't listened to that, I think I still have to introduce him, Shot. Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I know he has a fan club. No, but in so case people could go back. Listening. If it is their first time, they could go back right. and go, okay, well, Michael's actually smart. I'm like, these two bumbling idiots. Let me well, go it's a low other threshold. Things. Yeah, that's true. There's, so, actually, there's actually a target on my on my uh, back, and so it's so they, they can throw the arrows at me. Right. Well, that target, <laughs> I think, was put there by the insurance industry. So what we're going to talk right. about today is something to do with the insurance world, and particularly after the civil unrest, uh, the protests, the riots, insurance claims that arose out of that and people's um, probably common misconception about that. But before we get into that shot, tell people where they can find us. They can find us online at kbklawyers.com. Our podcast is on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else people listen to this podcast. And Don't they, can, they know that already because they're listening to us? Yeah, presumably. But they might have gotten there from our website or someone's forcing it upon them, which I feel bad for them for. Isn't that violate the Eighth Amendment? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but no, you can find us online. We have articles up. We do webinars, seminars, well, no longer in person. Uh, and if you have questions about insurance issues, we'd be happy to talk to you about it. You bet. Okay, so what we're going to talk about today are these recent civil unrest throughout the entire United States and particularly in large cities, but it's been everywhere. And if you, uh, unless you've been living under a rock for the last few months, you, you know about these, you know about Black Lives Matters, you know about um, all the things that have happened in, in this country with respect to the unrest. And we are not making civil commentary about that today. Instead, we're talking about an important issue, which is what happens if somebody owned a business or um, a structure or a home or whatever, and they were damaged as a result of this unrest? So I think the common misconception people have is that, well, it's a civil, it's civil unrest. It's, it's like a, it's riot. a riot, right? It's not covered. So let, let's just, this is a real casual conversation about this, but let's start with there, Michael. What's, what's your usual experience with this when people contact you? Well, I, I think it's important to get really clear on what the fact, factual scenario is, um, it, in, involving the causal mechanism for the damage. Um, you know, the scenario that we saw here in Los Angeles and in Santa Monica was uh, there were really multiple events going on under the guise of the protests. You had the protesters on one hand. You had a group that was committed committed to doing property damage and vandalism on another hand. And then you had the looters, which were really a separate and distinct group. And so the question is, what aspect of that caused damage? Some of them might be covered. Some of them might not. Uh protesters, from my view and what I witnessed, caused very little damage. Um, the vandals, and, and oftentimes the, the protesters were, were operating in one area of town in, in uh, Santa Monica. This was absolutely true. The protesters were down, were down there on Ocean Avenue, and the police had put all its resources over by the protesters, and the vandals and the looters attacked uh, the 3rd Street Promenade and 4th Street. And, I, and there was a van store, as I recall, that they just completely denuded of everything. Yeah, Sean, did you get new shoes? <laughs> Still waiting on mine. No, but all kidding aside, um, I think th that's important, Michael, because it, it really matters what the policy says is covered and isn't covered. So right. you got to figure out what caused the damage 
and then look at the policy. And I think Michael and Brian, both uh, more senior than I am, whenever I come to them with a question, they go, well, let me see the policy. That's the first step of the analysis, right, Michael? Always, always. I'm still trying to get out of my mind a a visual picture of Shant with van shoes on riding a skateboard. (laughs) Not going to happen. Maybe 10 years ago. With a little little baseball cap cocked sideways. Yeah, right. 20 years ago. I think the common misconception people have is that because it involves some kind of, quote unquote, civil unrest, um, that it's not covered under the policy. Just automatically not covered. And, and and I guess that's my point by pointing out that there's really distinct events going on here because vandalism is often covered under the policy, um, under most policies. Um, again, you know, you, the analysis you go to is whether it's all risk or specified peril. And so that's the first thing that you, you look for in the policy. And under the specified peril policy, civil commotion, which some of this would be qualified as, um, is absolutely covered. Yeah. In fact, specified peril policies, which sometimes have less coverage than an all-risk policy, Typically, in yep. this situation, you'd benefit if you had one of those because I was looking at one the other day that specifically said we only cover uh, loss caused by the following causes, and one of them was uh, civil commotion. And I think riot may even been specified oh, really? in, that, in that policy. So it really yeah. depends on the policy language. Yeah. So. Interesting, um, though, you know, you, you talk about the all-risk policy, and just for our listeners, that means that everything's covered unless it's specifically excluded. A recent case that came down that I was just reading this weekend is Mosley versus Pacific Specialty. It's out of the 4th DCA, California Court of Appeal case. Just reinforces the whole notion that exclusions are the burden of, uh, of the carrier. Absolutely. And, and now, Michael, what if it's not clear what uh, whether what happened or what caused the damage is civil commotion versus riot versus vandalism? What, what if it's not clear? What happens when a policy is ambiguous or the language in there is hard to kind of put into a specific bucket? Sure. Well, where, where, the, where the language is ambiguous, then it's interpreted strictly in favor of coverage and against the insurer. Um, but whether or not the language is ambiguous um, will depend on whether there's more than one reasonable interpretation of it. But I'm not sure that ambiguity is is what we're talking about in these cases. What we're talking about really is causation. And, you know, under the specified peril policy, they identify the causes that are covered specifically. Under the all-risk policy, really all we need is damage in the policy period. And then whether the cause is excluded is, as Brian was just talking about, the burden of the insurance company. So what we're looking for in an all-risk perspective is damage. Do we have damage? And then the burden shifts to the insurance company to identify whether or not the cause of that damage is excluded. So we don't even, and this is an error that most people make when they're calling in uh, their claim under an all-risk policy is they they try to identify the cause of loss. And there's absolutely Why no, it happened or how it happened. Right. And that's not an obligation the insured has. Exactly. Absolutely not. And, and in fact, the the people from the insurance company asking the questions on the other side are constantly trying to get them to identify the cause because oftentimes they will lead them into an uncovered cause. They wouldn't try to nudge them into identifying an excluded cause, would they? It is sad, but true. Yeah. 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 Quite- so, so there is exclusions under policies for, you know, extraordinary events like nuclear war, right? Uh, but even less so than that, sometimes it is civil war in there, civil commotion. These are signs of ex- exclusionary language. Terrorism. Terrorism. terrorism yeah. Right. Right. And, you These know, other than, called this domestic terrorism. Well, know? by the president. Right. Yeah. He Indeed. thinks it's domestic. He thinks any any policy, I guess, that, you know, as opposed to his policies, is domestic terrorism. But right. But I don't see this as falling, any of this falling under the definition of terrorism. I agree. Or civil war or any of many of those categories. Right. And, and I think that a lot of these policies cover 
claims that result from, um, like you just said, vandalism or, you know, civil disobedience in the sense of people trying to break into people's businesses. But that really wasn't what happened here. They weren't doing it for the purpose of, you know, burning somebody's business down with the possible exception of, uh, I remember one news story where they specifically, I think, attacked the, the jack-in-the-box where the, the man had been shot by the police The Santa Monica the courthouse. They, they, they attacked the Santa Monica courthouse because it was the Santa Monica courthouse because it stood for authority. That damage probably um, uh, would be directly attributable to the protesters. But excluded? Well, obviously, show me the policy. Right. Um, yeah. You get back to these policies all the time and you get back to them. And I, I think that one of the things the insurance industry has done a you know terrific job you have to commend them for is scaring people about making claims. Absolutely. And I think the misinformation about civil unrest, because I remember the days after this happened, people were calling me up, just friends who wanted to ask me my opinion. This wasn't a shame all these businesses have had this damage. It probably won't be covered in their policies because – you know, it's it's this these riots. Riots aren't covered. And and that is part of the carrier strategy. They get out with their public relations uh, resources and they basically broadcast that there's no coverage. And what that does is it, it you know, 95 percent of the people walk away. Creates a narrative that people start buying into. Exactly. Going, well, it's unfortunate. My insurance doesn't even cover it. And half the time when we have people calling us, well, we ask, how, how do you know? Then they say, well, they, they said that it's not going to be covered. I read this article about it not being covered. Or I called my broker who happens to you know benefit from the first line. I think, it's, I think it's worse than that, Sean. I think it's also there's sort of an attitude of the public of why bother? Right. Right. Why bother? Absolutely. Or my premiums will go up if right. I do. They, they've seated they've seated everybody's thinking I'm with gonna that make fear. a claim that isn't covered anyways and the, my reward will be my premiums going that right. that must be the number one concern that I hear from potential clients or policyholders right. that we represent and their, their first concern is well how's this going to affect my premiums right or will they drop me if I make a claim right let me bring the conversation back to vandalism though because I think vandalism is an interesting um, covered claim under most policies most property policies mm -hmm. and most policies distinguish, of course, what is vandalism versus theft or breaking into property. Right. And and I would say that vandalism is just sort of the random destruction of your property. Maybe sometimes there's theft associated with it, but sometimes not. We have argued many, many times, you know, you have some cases where vandalism is, vandalism is covered and theft is not. And we have argued that um, the the damaging of the physical property constituted vandalism, whether it was in conjunction with theft or not, and gotten that paid. Yeah. And and the one thing I've seen with respect to vandalism on a property is you consistently have these exclusions for, say, 60 days of property being vacant. Right. Let's talk a little bit about that. Right. Well, so the idea is that when a property is vacant, that the risk has increased. And therefore, um, if the property is vacant, sometimes the uh, things that are covered are not covered. They're, they're, they're accepted or limited. This would be probably be a limitation under an all-risk policy. But it would have to be vacant almost, I think the policy generally say, continuously vacant for 60 days. Correct. And so I think what you're getting at is what's the definition of vacant? Right. Vacant right. does not necessarily mean unoccupied. If you have... Uh, 
if you're not going to the property every day for 60 days, but your personal property continues to be there, it is not vacant. If you continue, if the use or function of the property continues, even though there's no physical presence, it is not vacant. Well, we're in the middle now of, I think, the third or fourth year of COVID-19 <laughs> shutdown. Certainly the third or fourth <laughs> month. And uh, no, it's been, the, the time we're recording this, is it's now well over 100 days. And there are lots of businesses that have truly been un, unoccupied. Right for months because of these closure orders. Right. But not but I, I would argue that that's that doesn't mean vacant. Right. That doesn't mean you've abandoned it and made it more susceptible to loss. And I, I would argue that it doesn't qualify as the definition of vacant under a, a, a policy. You know, that raises an interesting issue. You know, we've talked so much about uh, the business income losses as the result of the government shutdown orders. And the question I have is whether the damage caused by um, the current set of circumstances, the protests, the vandalism, the looting might not just be an add-on to those already pending claims because the places would have been defended. They would have been occupied had um, had they not been forced to be unoccupied by the government. So somebody makes a claim oh. today for vandalism or damage to their property or substantial damage to their property as a result of these, you know, recent, recent protests and such. Uh, Chances are they're going to be covered, right? I would say so. Um, again, it depends on the circumstances. Were there protesters there? Was it straight vandalism? And then whether there was looting. Under under an all-risk policy, you're going to have coverage for the physical property damage done, for the need to decontaminate it because of uh, looters inside the property, as well as for the loss of um, the business personal property that was taken from your property. As well as arguably business interruption. Coverage, as well right? as arguably business interruption. Since business interruption follows the, the actual loss of the peril. Right. And so an interesting question then gets raised as to the period of restoration um, given the shutdown orders. How long is the period of restoration? Let's say that you had a, a uh, you were damaged in the protests by vandals and looted. How long is the period of restoration for a business interruption purposes? What say you, Sean? I'd say until both physically repaired and able to open again. So restocked, your staff is back and you're up and running if, if it's, let's say, in a retail context. Right. Well, the you know um, the period of re of restoration, the restoration period is defined under the policy as the time it would take um, for you under reasonable circumstances to get back in business. So, with COVID, are those reasonable circumstances? Right. Are those circumstances that that are factored into the calculus? That's harder to define. It is. Yeah. I but, mean, reasonable un reasonable under in COVID times or reasonable under normal times. Do you expect there's going to be more civil unrest as we, you know, go high gear into summer here? Man, you know, um, what I saw a statistic this morning that said that gun violence was up 40 percent. And I got to believe that that's directly due to the lockdown, you know, for people, you know, people's inability to, you know, live their lives normally and whatnot. I got to believe that that's going to increase. And then, you know, given the election year and whatnot. Um, these are very civilly unrestful times. Do you think carriers are going to start restricting coverage more? I, I think that they're going to try. Yeah, I would expect that they would that they would try to um, uh, issue some exclusions and have them have the regulatory people approve them. I mean, sure. what we've seen is is are these 
you know, civil, we'll call them the civil war exclusions under the policy that we talked about earlier. And, you know, in my lifetime, even living through, well, barely living through the Watts riots. Right. And living through the Rodney King um, uh, riots in South Central Los Angeles in the early 90s. Uh, this last round was nothing like those. Right. This was uh, civil, literally civil, meaning decent and 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 orderly protests, with some people taking advantage of it. Where right. the Rodney King riots, for example, were just you know anger that poured out in the streets, that tore down businesses and and the like. Yeah, and and without commenting on whether or not it's justifiable, but I think there is a distinction there. Um, Very but, different but, but, caliber of of riots, was it not, Rodney King, compared to what we had. Don't look at Sean. He was like three. <laughs> no, I remember. I was I was nine years old, and I, I, I Rodney remember. King, Rod, it was you know like this isn't a social commentary, but it was it was the same kind of anger, but the anger in was directed at property. What, what was directed at property and right. everything, right? Directed at property people. This was much more focused on really orderly protests. Yes, right. there were some you know broken windows and things like that, but for the most part, orderly protests demanding change. I was in the Rodney King riots in San Francisco, and if you can imagine, they, they, the flavor of the riots up there was very different than down here. Um, it originally, as they were coming down the street, seemed like a celebration of some sorts with the different uh, constituencies, you know, some costumes, some not, um, enjoying themselves quite a bit. But at one point when they got down to... Uh, uh, Union Square, it got ugly and cars started getting turned over and they, they went around the square and destroyed all of the plate glass windows um, in the square. And it was really scary. Magnify that multiple, multiple times in Los Angeles. Right. So it, so, was, it was it was frightening and scary and people didn't know it was, they were going to go next. Right. So so speaking of, you know, the distinction between these two things or um, the the trends. What, what trends do you see happening here, and what has happened in other things? For example, you know, after nine eleven, did they start including terrorism exclusions and policies? What, it, what happens after things like this in the industry? You know, um, and I, it probably the you remember when Martin Luther King um, got killed. Back I'm, in, I'm certain Shant does not remember that. <laughs> I was not. I don't. I don't remember. I was not alive. So yeah. Well, so Detroit. They basically burned Detroit down. They burned parts of Chicago down. Uh, they, that was the Watts riots, was it not? Nope. Oh, really? Watts riots were uh, in 64, I believe. Before that? Yes. Yes. Huh. Did you but have- there was some, but not as much as you'd, as you'd think. But, uh, I mean, we're getting a little off on social commentary here, but my mother was in Detroit in the 1940s when there were riots in the early 1940s right. during World War II. Right. And, and you see riots when um, sports teams win – uh, championships. Uh, every year that the Bulls won the championship, Chicago would some parts of Chicago would get destroyed. It's been a long time now, hasn't it, Michael? <laughs> it, it has. It has. Very sad. That's been a long time. It's, it's very sad. Yeah, they, they turned over the Model Ts, and uh, we just got a lot done. of the horses were scared. No, no, no. We just had the last dance. That's you know, right, Michael yeah. Jordan. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think though that, that was trying, yeah. trying to get this back on topic of insurance here. I think the insurance industry is smart in the way that they continuously restrict coverage. And you look at it, and we've talked about this before, but you look at the San Francisco earthquake of 1906, and to answer your question, neither of us were alive there. Was it strong? No, it it wasn't there. (laughs) Felt it here in Los Angeles. (laughs) Earthquake is excluded, but the fire that followed was not. Right. And the insurance industry as a result of that has effectively now blocked that out under most policies. So they restricted coverage there. Okay. Where else have you seen that happen? Well, I, most recently it was mold. You know, there right. was 20 years ago, there was right. this um, 
influx of mold cases throughout the country. I was in the middle of it in the, in the late 90s. And, yeah, tell us uh, about uh, that because uh, it always comes up when I'm dealing with older insurance lawyers um, and they talk about the mold cases, the mold cases. What do they right. mean when, when you're talking about that? Well, so um, mold was always excluded under all risk insurance policies. And yet when um, as a result of the tighter uh, wrapping on buildings and the uh, they were not kiln drying the wood, they would they do what was called drying in place. You were having mold breakouts um, in properties, and it, and it was uh, causing illness as well as property damage. And during the mold, back in the late nineties, I mean, I remember my first mold case. I the lady that spoke to me sounded absolutely crazy when she was telling me that she was having physical impacts as the result of mold. But I said I can help you with your property damage, and the insurance company denied it based on the mold exclusion and. The, we were able to circumvent it because it was so poorly written. And for about the next six years, they tried to write exclusions to exclude mold under the policies, and they were unsuccessful until they finally agreed to give limited coverage for mold, removing it from an exclusion and actually making it a limited coverage. Grant. And that's why now we see mold sublimits, right? Exactly right. Exactly but then right. let's flip that around and and show a time when the insurance industry completely failed at excluding something, and that's the smoke and ash claims that right. you and I have been involved in, Sean, and Michael's now been involved in. Is, um, in the uh, late 2000s, we started seeing a whole lot of smoke and ash cases because, not surprisingly, whether you believe in clim climate change or not, more people have built homes on a hillside. More hillsides catch on fire. There have been more massive fires. Just recently, I was reading the news, there was a huge one in Utah. Right. And as right. a result of that, these homes, these developments that are built right up along the what turns out to be the fire line may not burn down, but they get inundated with smoke and they get inundated with ash and it affects the property. And so several carriers uh, tried to exclude that on the same basis that they did limit it in the mold. They right. didn't exclude smoke and ash. They just try to put a limited place. They tried to do the same thing as mold, but that didn't work because the insurance code requires a minimum coverage in line with what is it called? The New York, uh, the, the New York, standard New York 165 line fire policy, right? right? And, 2071 of the California insurance code is the and policy. We've been able to successfully arguing to courts that if you're putting a limitation on the amount of smoke coverage you're offering, but at the same time, you're saying we, we give a million dollars in fire coverage, but oh, when it's smoke, it's limited to $5,000. A court said you're separating that out and you're not providing what's required under a minimum the 165 policy. line policy. Or as one judge said to the defense lawyer counsel, you, where there's smoke, there's fire. I remember we <laughs> we, we explicitly tried to avoid using that phrase, and the judge said it herself. We're like, okay, now it's now it's now it's fair game. But sure. but largely as a result of the cases that we've litigated, the yeah. insurance industry has dropped that attempt to try to limit these claims. But right. don't to don't you know don't get comfortable. They'll come back. They'll try they to will. figure it out some way. It's They'll incessant. try to figure out some way to do it. They will. And I, I predict that as a result of um, the COVID experience, policies are now going to have specific language that says pandemics are not included. I would agree. I think that as a result of the recent civil unrest, they're going to try to figure some way, although it may be a very small number of claims, and, and they may not put the time in. I, I was going to say, and, and the point I was making about Detroit and whatnot is they didn't restrict uh, the vandalism coverage too much um, after those incidents. Um, they, and, and after, the, you know, the Bulls won the, won the uh, championship, they didn't, it didn't change coverage too much, even though it was a fairly, you know, it happened every year for six years. Yeah. Thanks. Um, Thanks. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So, and I think some of that has to do with the standard fire policies, because the one thing that property insurance is supposed to have is coverage for fire damage. I mean, that's that's where property insurance started back with Lloyd's of London, that and, and uh, ship sinking. Um, and so they, they can't, where fire is involved, they can't do much um, to, to take it away and anything related to fire. So final thoughts on vandalism, civil disobedience, not from a, you know, empirical point of view, but more from what we're talking about today with coverage. Michael? Uh, again, I mean, it's always the, the same old saw. You, you've got, it depends on your policy, and all policies are not the same. You've got to look at your policies. Um, where you've had uh, glass damage is usually specifically covered under these policies, both uh, all risk and specified peril. So if you've got broken, broken glass, you should absolutely make a claim. And where you've, where you've been looted, um, you should definitely make a claim as well. And do not take what your, what your uh, brokers say as the last word. Sean? What I'd add to that is if your business has inter been interrupted as a result and you've been forced to close, even though your business or your store is still in fine condition, but it's been closed as a result of what happened down the block, uh, there may be business interruption coverage for that. Great uh, point. So, and not not for this to be a plug to, for lawyers, but I really do think it's important that policyholders consult with someone that can actually read a policy and not just immediately go to their agent or broker to make a claim. So, well, that took away that took away my final thought. So, oh, okay. My, my my final thought was exactly that, which is if you're if you're a client listening to this, consult with an expert. If you're a lawyer and you don't know the area of law, talk to somebody that does. Be sure you advise your clients because when you're dealing with your insurance company, words matter. Words matter in the policy, words matter in how they're written in the policy, and words matter in the way that you talk to your insurance company and you tell them about your claim and you tell them what your claims involve because they document everything and um, they are constantly, in my humble opinion, looking for ways to exclude coverage. Fortunately, Absolutely. I think here a lot of these, these claims are going to be covered, which is good for those business owners. So that's all we have today. Thank you, Michael Childress, for joining us. We thank you, Michael. to have Michael here Thanks with us. Thanks for having us. me. Sean, as usual, thank you for being here. You contributed you, a Brian. lot today. Appreciate oh, yeah, it. yeah. Um, and you can reach us online at kbklawyers.com. And thank you for tuning in and hope you tune in again.